You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> Hi. Can you put yours on can you put yours on mute? We're here. Cool. Can you put it on mute? Yours, put yours on mute. Thanks. Love it, much as I love hearing you guys. Just need you to. Give it a second. <laughs> there you go. All right. Second Corinthians chapter five is where we're going to be. Our key text today is. Uh, verses 20 and 21. And uh, we are starting a series um, called We the Church, um, wanting us to just as a refresher for us, if, we're, if you've been a part of Galena Bible Church for a long time, just who are we? What, we're, what are we about? Um, we'll have, uh, in the beginning of September, we'll have a new members class that we'll be teaching uh, some of the more kind of getting into the weeds of uh, what do we believe theologically, how are we organized, uh, in our ecclesiology, what is our what is our expectation role of members, um, and how does that kind of stuff play out? Um, but this is more kind of the the vision and ethos of who we are. We um, uh, kicked this off last year, uh, kind of a four part picture of who we are and what we're about in the grand scheme of things. Um, just summed up in four words: come, share, grow. And go. We're going to take a look at the first of those. Uh, what does it mean when we uh, say uh, to come? This invitational kind of picture. How much faith uh, must you have in someone to make decisions for you? Well, I think it kind of depends upon the nature or the gravity of what the decision is, right? Uh, you know, if it's not something, you know, super big, um, you know, you, you may not be too worried about it. Like, uh, do you trust somebody to order something for you at a restaurant? Well, some of that depends upon their character, right? If you know that this is an individual that all that they eat is chicken nuggets and french fries, um, you're probably not going to let them order for you, right? Uh, because their culinary palate is as experienced as a teaspoon is, right? Like that's you probably don't have a lot of trust in them. But if they're somebody that they eat pretty widely, they've got a pretty wide palate, and they know you pretty well, you have a pretty good degree of trust in them, and you might say, "Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trusting you. I, you know, I, I feel adventurous. Order something for me." You might trust them on that. Uh, what to wear to an event? This is like the the. Uh, Exists. This is like the fine print of every husband as he signs his marriage license, right? Uh, that you have to ask: Is this, you know, is this right, right? Like, is it, unless we can wear blue jeans and everything else matches with that, I don't know. I don't know if it works, right? Uh, you know. So trusting somebody to do that. What about for you new hires? You're in the process of filling out paperwork and things like that, and they're asking you kind of big questions like, which retirement program do you want to be in? Which then you're like, oh, sure. Yeah, that one sounds great, right? And you usually ask the question, which one would you recommend? And you're trusting somebody else to make your plan for you. 
Would you trust if somebody else told you who you ought to marry? Would you trust if someone else uh, told you what job you should have or where you should live or any other big thing for you? This is one of the reasons why uh, voting is such a scary thing. We are electing an individual to represent us. And every time we go to the ballot box and we look at them when we go, none of them do, right? Like, how in the world am I supposed to select somebody to make these kind of decisions and choices for us? Well, this kind of oddity of allowing somebody to do for us is exactly what God says He has done in us on His behalf. Take a look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 20. Follow along with me. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making His appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God to Him. This is the Word of the Lord. Ambassadors for Christ. This is one of those terms that gets thrown around in church circles. It's uh, been used... I remember when I was a, a kid, uh, our church had a, a, uh, a little boys program called Royal Ambassadors. And it was kind of like a Boy Scouts for church kids kind of a thing. There was a little bit of knot tying and that kind of stuff. But learning about missionaries and learning about memorizing Bible things or whatever. And it was this picture of wanting to emphasize the point of you have a role, you have a place, you have a representation in the nature of it. In, in uh, recent years, there's been lots of political turmoil over uh, United States ambassadors and where their political allegiances lied. Uh, and that was a big deal because they represent the face of the United States in some other country. We know that and their voice is the voice of the U.S. And so it holds significant weight. In the ancient world, the picture of an ambassador was no different. Uh, regardless of whether you were someone who was a friendly nation or an enemy nation, the status of being an ambassador was one in the ancient world that was considered to be something that was uh, safe. You, you did not uh, assault ambassadors of other countries, even if they were your enemies, because of the reciprocity that would take place in it. It was considered to be a high status because you were considered the voice of that king or the voice of that ruler, the voice of that emperor into another place. And it is this term that Paul uses to describe us. And look at the weighty way that he says it. He says, as though God Himself we're making His appeal through us. Now we know and we believe that God is at work. God is sovereign. God is doing what God does. God accomplishes all of His purposes. And the Scriptures tell us that none of God's plans will be thwarted by man's endeavors. God will accomplish all that He deems to do. And yet the Scriptures say that it is God making His appeal through us. If we believe the Scriptures, and we do, 
And we take that at what it means. It means that we are called to be invitational. We are called to be individuals, both as individuals and collectively as a body, that exude a sense of invitation. We cannot make God's appeal if we are not seeking to engage in the lives of the people that are around us. Right? That just doesn't simply doesn't work. If all the ambassador ever does is sit in his little uh, commune or his little uh, fortress in some country and never engages in the country to which he was sent, he would be considered a very bad ambassador and would be relieved of his job. Right? And we know that, and yet, when we hear the term that we are ambassadors for Christ, we oftentimes think that, oh yeah, in general, that's a true thing, the church is, or there's professional Christians, right? The Rosses and the Chrises and the Martins who are, you know, have a title, have an office, have a position, and it is their responsibility, they're the collective voice. Well, it is true that we maybe have a platform that the average Christian maybe doesn't necessarily have, But the reality of it is is that when Christ called us as His children, as uh, uh, into His family, when, when Christ redeemed us into the family of God, God looked at every single follower of Christ and said, your job is to be invitational. Your job is to look at the people around and invite them to hear this. To, to hear this plea of God. And this is, the, this is an incredible thing. To use the term plea is exactly right because look what he says in verse 20. We, what? Beg you be reconciled to God. This is not just an intellectual thing like, I, I ask you, I invite you to consider the possibilities of this. Uh, this is not, you know, trying to make it cool and hip and look at this, you should like this, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, maybe when you were a teenager and you're trying to get your friends to like a new band and maybe they didn't like it, right? And you were trying to, you know, weigh the pros and cons of it. No, 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 this is cooler and this is kind of thing. No, no, no. The impetus of this is a begging. Please, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Why? He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Paul had such a way of being able to take the Gospel of Jesus Christ and encapsulate it into one sentence. To take the fullness of God in eternity past when uh, God in His foreknowledge saw us and adopted us as sons and daughters, set in His heart that we would be redeemed in Christ on the cross, knowing all of our sin, all of our hatred, all of our rebellion, everything that was there, He stepped over all of that and put all of that on Jesus so that we would be His righteousness forever. This full picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and our redemption in it. He compiles all of it into, this is why I'm begging you this. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, not to uh, become a sinner, but to actually become our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's an incredible statement. And it's not true of most of the world. It doesn't happen by accident. This is why it's an appeal. This is why it's an invitation. This is why it's a begging. Now when you read the Scriptures, uh, one thing to note is when you're reading Paul, Paul doesn't know what a period is. Right? His, his sentences would not pass any literary structure. They're gigantic. 
but it's because he has big thoughts and that's just the way that he wrote. The other thing to know is that oftentimes Paul gives you a way to follow the course of his thoughts. And in this section, he uses a structure that is uh, built around the word, therefore. Right? And when you're reading the Scriptures and you come across the word, therefore, you want to ask the question, what's it there for? There's something before it that leads to the conclusion where you're at. What we just read uh, in, at the very end of uh, uh, chapter 5 is the last therefore. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So there's a whole bunch of things that are leading up to that. There's in fact four other therefores leading up to that. And these are the four things that I want us to look at today of why is it that because of the gospel, we are pressed as a church to be invitational. We want people to come and hear the gospel. We want people to come and be in fellowship. We want people to come and be members. We want people to come and learn what it means to share in Christ, to share in fellowship, to share in laughter, to share in memories. We want people to grow in their marriages. We want people to grow in their knowledge of the Scriptures. We want people to grow in their spiritual maturity and their spiritual disciplines. And we want people to be sent to go into their workplace, into their home environment, into their neighborhood, and ultimately as the nature of our church to be sent from our church into all places of the world for the glory of Christ, that this good news, this invitational good good news would be known across the world. Four things uh, of why we are, that tell us why we are ambassadors of Christ and why we are to be invitational. The first is in verse 6, and it's this, we are aliens in a foreign land calling people to a better home. We are aliens in a foreign land and we are calling people to a better home. Verse 6 reads this way, Therefore, being always of good cheer, of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have our ambition. Whether at home or absent, we are to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We are aliens in a foreign land calling people to a better home. Paul uses this term very often. In fact, it's one of his most famous things in Philippians when he argues this point of going like, my life is at this point is not good. I'm being persecuted. My life is in danger all the time. And I don't know what's better. I don't know if it's better for me to die and go be with Jesus or to live and stay here with you. And he says, I'm at war in the reality of this. And the reason that he's at war in the reality of this is that throughout the Scriptures, in fact, even when the nation of Israel was in Israel, when they had Jerusalem, when the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Solomon and all of that was at its height and its zenith, the prophets were still referring to them as sojourners, wanderers, aliens, people without a home. 
I don't know about you, but in the present political climate that we live in today, I feel more and more like that. That when we hear of political parties and we see what they stand for, maybe what they stand for on paper versus what they say out loud, when you go like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't land anywhere in that. It's like I don't have a camp, and when we say that, then all of a sudden people are like, "Oh, well, you, you know, you're, you, you must be, you know, you must be a, a crazy conservative, or, oh, you must be some kind of crazy heretic liberal, right?" And it's just going like, "No, it's this isn't my home. This isn't my home." We hear of movements both local and abroad push uh, agendas that are being pushed and things like that. And everybody is trying to, in their own way, make the world better, right? Everybody, that's, that's every, every platform is wanting to try to make the world better. Even the dictator is trying to make the world better. It's just his world that he's trying to make better, right? And we get frustrated because we feel like I can't find my place in this world. We were meant to. This isn't home. It's never meant to be home. Our king doesn't live here. A ruler doesn't live here. The laws by which we live are not written on paper that exists in ever any government station anywhere here. And as we make this invitational appeal to people, we see people who are settled into a world that is killing them. And we can see that it is because we once lived there too. The Bible tells us that we were all once enemies of God. We were aligned with Him. We were literally active enemy combatants against the living God. And by His grace, He called us out of that. And we're now people without a nation. People without a home. But not people without a people. We're people that have been adopted by the Lord Jesus Christ into His kingdom, into His family. And as He says here in this, we are of good courage knowing that while we are at home in this body, we're absent from the Lord. When you wake up and the joints don't work like they should. When you wake up uh, and uh, the, the world just isn't what you want it to be. And you go, thank goodness this isn't the best that there is. Thank goodness that this week, however, however good it is or however bad it is, is not the end goal. It's not the end picture. And we are invitational because we are calling people to a better home. People are satisfied with things far less than God intends for them. In fact, every, person, every couple that comes to me in marriage counseling, very oftentimes they're like, we want to rekindle the spark. We want to get back what we had. And my answer is generally always, I don't really want that for you. And they always look at me funny. And I say, I'm, I'm praying for something that you've yet to have. Something that's better, something that's greater, something that's beyond this experience that you have richer and deeper in this than you've experienced in the past. I don't want you eating leftovers. I want you to have the freshness of what it is that God intends for you to have into the future. 
C.S. Lewis had the uh, the famous quote on the reality of this. He said, uh, "You know, individuals who are satisfied with this world are like the child that's living in the slum and is content playing and making mud pies in the uh, in the filth of the street because he has no idea what a holiday at sea is like or a holiday at the beach is like. We are far too easily contented, far too easily pleased." And so we're invitational because we are uh, telling people that there is a better home. There's a better family. There's a better life. There's a better world in which we live. It does not mean that it is easier. Don't paint the picture of Christianity that if you become a Christian, life gets easy. But it is better, not because of the circumstances, but because of who we're doing it with. We are aliens in a foreign land calling people to a better home. The second, therefore, is in verse 11. And we are invitational because everyone invites others to see what they love. Everyone invites others to see what they love. Look at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men... But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your consciences. We are not again committing ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are of sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Everything that you love, music, games, Restaurants that you like to eat at when you're out, you know, in your town, places that you've been to, traveling places, sports that you enjoy, poems that you read, books that you've found to be fascinating. There's something in us with all of those things that our enjoyment of that thing is not complete until we share it with somebody else. That we want somebody else to know, man, this was such a great book. Right? And, you know, and it may not be something like you finish the book and you're like, I gotta call somebody and tell somebody. It's like, you know, you're you're at school, you're at work or whatever, and somebody's like, Yeah, you know, I just finished reading the series. I don't know what I should read. All of a sudden it wells back in your mind, Oh man, I just finished this book, you ought to read this. Oh, it was so great about this guy and he lives this thing, and oh it's you know, and you're telling the story of it, right? Or anybody that's you know new to town, any of the new new teachers and new staff, and they're they come in and they're you know maybe they have a their first trip back into Fairbanks, and they're like, man, I want to go out to eat. And immediately, anybody that's been around and that's eaten in any of the places, like, oh, let me tell you, you need to go to Brewster's, you need to order this thing, right? You need to you know you need to go to Silver Gulch, and you got to order their their uh, uh, shrimp hush puppies with the the uh, spicy. Uh, raspberry dip. I'm just. I'm giving you my list of things, right? Like, you know. I mean, and you you want them to enjoy those. You like. You want them to experience it. You want them to see it. You want it to be in the reality of, it, and you want to tell people about it. This is what Paul says in this picture when he says, "Because the love of Christ controls us. It's it's the rudder in the water." 
right? It's our, it's our engine that drops behind the boat. And as it turns, the boat can't do anything else except turn to go the direction that the motor's telling it to go. Even if the motor's weak, the boat turns. We are invitational because, at least this is the hope, that we have found our satisfaction in Christ. That He is most glorious to us of all things. Jesus and His redemptive work changed everything about my life. There's nothing about my life that is the same. There's not, a, there's not a corner of my life that is not impacted, changed dramatically because of Jesus. Literally, I think about the clothes that I wear or the way that I spend my money on tools or investments or the way that I raise my kids or what food I eat or how healthy I try to be or any of those kind of things. Everything is impacted by my love for Jesus. Are my decisions going to hinder my ability to be able to show Him glorious? Because I want people to know. I want them to see. And I invite people to see it. I don't want anything about me to get in the way of that. I don't want anything about me to get in the way of Jesus being beautiful to anybody that would look. This is what it means for us to be invitational. Be transformed by the Gospel in such a way where Jesus is most precious over all things. Jesus made this very clear and He said it in an incredibly hard way. Like some of the, you know, we we always think that Jesus has kind of this wishy-washy, kind of easy-to-follow kind of teacher oftentimes. Jesus said some incredibly hard things, right? Jesus said things like, listen, unless you love Me, more than you love your spouse, more than you love your mom, more than you love your dad, more than you love your children, more than you love your own life, you have no part in me. What? That seems crazy. As you hold your little baby, as you walk down the aisle with your spouse in that joyous moment, as you spend a a morning drinking coffee with your parents, And you go, what in the world does it mean, Jesus, for me to love you more than them? Well, certainly if we figure that out, we're going to tell people about it. We're going to be invitational. Invite them to come and be a part of this family that knows who Jesus is and is changed by Him. Third, we're invitational because we've been given new eyes to see people differently. We've been given new eyes to see people differently. Here's the third. Therefore, it's in verse 16. He says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him this way no longer. You've never met anybody that was simply a person. You've only met people that were eternal. So much so, again another C.S. Lewis quote, he said, if you could see this person in eternity future, there would be two reactions. You would either shriek back in terror at what they were, or you would be tempted to worship them because of their glorious nature. You've never met a mere mortal. 
And what it means for us as Christians is that because of the redemptive work of Christ, our eyes have been opened to our own sin. That's how we became a Christian. We saw that uh, apart from Christ, we were dead. Even though we look like we were alive. Even though we look like our life was, had it all together. We may have, by everybody's standards, been the happiest person. Had it all together. The best marriage, the best job, the best career trajectory. Everything was great. Everything was wonderful. But by the grace of God, we saw that we were dead inside. And in that moment, our eyes became illuminated to the reality of our need for Jesus. And God saved us in that moment. But what He also did is He gave us new eyes to see those that are around us that we regard no one just simply according to the flesh any longer. We look at the people around us and we see them as image bearers of God who have either been redeemed by Christ or are still in open rebellion just like we once were. And that's a distinct caveat at the end of that. Because there is a trend within Christianity to just simply say, they're other. They're outside. It's the old adage of uh, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon when he said, if people go to hell, let them not go unprayed for. Let them not go unwept over. If they choose to go to hell, may it be them climbing over our bodies on their way as we plead with them to be reconciled to God. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, they just simply thought He was a guy like any other guy. And yet Jesus exploded that worldview and changed everything. Every co-worker that you have, every family member that you have, every friend, every student that you will work with this year, all of them have an eternity and an eternal trajectory. And we are invitational because we've been given new eyes to see them differently. To not just see them as somebody with an issue that needs to be fixed. To not just see them as a project. To not just see them as a number on a piece of paper. To not just see them the way the world sees them. As just a person. Just a body. But we see them as an eternal soul living an eternal trajectory in one of two directions. And we want to be invitational to invite them to come and see and savor this great Savior. And the fourth and final reason that we are invitational is this. We know what God through Christ has done for us. We know what God through Christ has done for us. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold... New things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The greatest nature of invitation is our own personal story. I was dead. And thanks to Christ, I'm alive. And you may not have known me before I was a follower of Jesus. But let me tell you a little bit about what that guy was. Let me tell you about, not in a glamorized way, but in a real way, a true way, a humble way. 
Not painting the best picture, but let me tell you about what that was. And let me tell you about the incredible nature of what it is that God has done to reconcile me. I didn't save me. I didn't get it figured out. I didn't work the magic. I didn't have the incantation. God did for me what I could not do through Christ. And we're invitational because we know what God has done. Of course the world looks at us like we're crazy. It hasn't happened to them. Their eyes aren't open. They still think everything's okay. Idolatry is a funny thing. It doesn't often look like idolatry. But it's people living their life with prayers and offering sacrifices to something expecting that it will give them the joy, the satisfaction, uh, the, the life that they are longing for. And the reality of it is, these days it may not be a, a wooden statue or a gold statue. It, it might be a bottle. It might be a W-2. It might be a, a person with a shared last name. It might be a needle or a blunt or a church or a pastor or a politician or anything else that they are praying to will make their life whole. The Bible just describes it as idolatry and we once were there too. We all, like the rest, the Scriptures say we're objects of wrath but for the grace of God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We often picture Jesus on the cross in, in a perspective of Him paying for the penalty of sin. That's a, that's a true and right and real. The, the um, substitutionary atonement nature that Jesus was substituted, the, the wrath that was due for me went on to Him. We very rarely think about Jesus on the cross and look at Him as our lust, our greed, our idolatry. Our hatred of God. Our indifference. Our looking at what God has said and said, I don't like that. That's what He became. So that the fullness of God's wrath would be poured out upon Him. So that you and I could be the righteousness of God in Him. It's an incredible, incredible statement. And so what is it that we are inviting people to? Regardless of if they ever step foot in our church, we want to invite them to Jesus. I don't care if they ever become a member of our church. I don't care if they ever uh, step foot inside this church. I just want people to know Jesus. He's worth that. But beyond that, we do want them to come and get to know other people who have been changed by Jesus to meet their family, to be strengthened and encouraged, to be befriended. And I think the hardest thing for us is to look at this world filled with people that by our standards are nice, kind, friendly, generous, who if their heart is exposed, they hate God. 
It's such a mind-blowing thing to think about. Jesus didn't die on the cross to save harlots and pimps and serial killers. Jesus died on the cross to save nice grandmas. Friendly, happy teachers. Fun-loving kids. Because the reality of our soul is not just simply the deeds of the flesh. We don't regard people that way. And so we want to invite them to come and be a part of the family of God, to meet Jesus and to meet their family. This looks like us inviting people to church service on a Sunday morning. It invites. It looks like ladies inviting ladies to go to the Saturday morning Bible study for ladies that will be starting here before too long. It looks like you inviting people to come and eat dinner at your house or have coffee or tea. It looks like you inviting people to go for a boat ride or inviting people over to teach them how to beat or how to can or how to process a moose. It looks like you inviting somebody to, hey, let's go for a walk. It's been cold and dark for long enough. Let's get out and let's go talk. Let's go spend some time together. But in the midst of all of those, all of these things well up in us because we can't help it. We are aliens in a foreign country and calling people to a better land. We uh, invite others to see the things that we love. We've been given eyes to see all of these people that we're inviting in. We see them differently. And we can't help but know what God has done for us. We want Galena Bible Church to be invitational that the the first, the first statement, uh, uh, perception of any person in the church. We can't change how people think of the institution of church. That's a amorphous thing. And the good news is that's not the church, right? This building burns down. Galena Bible Church doesn't go away. All of us have to move before Galena Bible Church goes away. And we want the first perception of Galena Bible Church to anybody who meets the church is come, come. Come see, come taste, come eat, come fellowship, come know, come see this Jesus. His goodness is coming after you. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the invitation that He gave to us. Because we're not here by accident. In this moment, we're here because there were people around us who cared enough to invite. Invite us to a youth group. Invite us to a a church service. And ultimately invite us to hear about the goodness of Jesus. Help us, God, this week to see the fact that we are ambassadors for Christ. God, You making Your appeal through us. Help us not to shrink back from that because like us being timid of somebody picking out what we're going to wear or what we're going to order... You've entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. And You will not be thwarted by all of Your efforts. So help us to be bold, God. Help us to be fearless in our love for You and our care for the people around us. We love You so much. It's Your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. 
Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.